Hello, welcome. Um, my name is Johan Lund, and I'm a co-director here at the IMA, together with Aileen Burns, who's in the audience. Um, I would like to begin by acknowledging uh, the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and pay my respects to elders, past and present. Uh, we're delighted to have Stephanie Rosenthal here, who was originally scheduled to be speaking yesterday, but I think in some way, maybe this is better, kind of pacing ourselves a bit for this big week in APT. Um, and Stephanie's here um, as part of the lecture series, What Can Art Institutions Do? This is the ninth presentation, so we've heard from a number of um, curators, directors, writers um, about um, the challenges and opportunities for collecting institutions, from non-collecting institutions like the IMA, and also we felt like it was very important to have a voice um, of somebody working on a biennial, and we're delighted to have Stephanie here um, today. Um, so as you, most of you are aware of, Stephanie is the artistic director of the 20th Sydney Biennale, which opens in March next year. And we'll hear about that, but also hear about some of the, um, uh, our practice and how that is informed our thinking on this biennial. I think it's a very interesting time to, after the very tumultuous 19th Biennial of Sydney, to really think about kind of um, uh, the role of biennials and how they function, but also in terms of how you can think, think critically about this um, format. Um, otherwise, uh, Stephanie has been the chief curator at the Hayward Gallery since 2007, um, which is currently undergoing a major refurb, so we're excited to um, see it when it opens again. But um, I don't think I'll say too much more. I think Stephanie, some of you um, probably saw Stephanie speak when she was here at the IMA a year and a half ago. I think there won't be much of a repeat, but it might be some good, you might uh, have some questions that you didn't ask in May 2014, and um, she's uh, happy to take those as well. So please give Stephanie Rosenthal a hand of applause. Good afternoon, and thank you very much, Johan, for this nice introduction, and thanks to you for coming. I know it's extremely busy at the moment, and probably some of you were like, we want to see the APT and not sit and listen <laughs> to a theoretical talk. It won't be too theoretical, so I, I have lots of images to um, start to introduce you to um, my Biennale concept, and if there's time, I'm just going to go back a bit and explain or basically discover even a bit for myself where I think are connections to shows I've done before because I always really enjoy when I'm invited to talk about what I'm doing because that's also a moment to step back and look at actually how things I've done maybe linked together and I think the Biennale is actually quite a, a good example for me to realize that there are a lot of um, threats to themes I've maybe worked on before. Um, it's a kind of series of talks about institutions, and of course we can think uh, about a biennale as an institution, and uh, that could be a talk by itself to think what's the purpose of a biennale and why biennales. And um, me personally, to be kind of quite uh, blunt, I've always enjoyed to go to biennales. I've never thought I ever gonna do one or want to do one. Um, because I felt it's a show which has to be put together really fast. How would you work with such a big amount of artists? And um, I've always had um, the, the really uh, kind of idea, and I'm still convinced that a good show is based on a deep conversation with the artists. Um, so that's the role of a curator, I think. And how, how do you do that in a Biennale if you have like 80 artists or even if you reduce it to 50? Um, and also I felt Biennales maybe have to be places where you have to be, you know, present a lot of unseen, not discovered young artists and I felt that's actually not my thing. I like to follow artists for a while and have a conversation before I feel I want to show them. Um, nevertheless, when the Sydney Biennale Foundation approached me, I was really excited about it. So, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I'll never do it, and then you would ask and you think, oh, wow, this would be really, really uh, an interesting um, thing to do for me. Because I feel if you work in an institution like the Hayward Gallery, you 
you, obviously you're connected to a building, which is the interesting thing. And the, the Hayward Gallery, I don't know who uh, has been there, is a brutalistic architecture, is a, is a very strong character. Um, and before that, I worked in an institution in Germany, Munich, Haus der Kunst, which also has a very strong character. It's built in the 30s. It's a very typical Nazi exhibition building. So the way how artists deal with architecture, I think I've always used that as a starting point. So, but that also means that the shows I can do are quite restricted and are always thought in relation to the, the building I'm in. Um, so thinking of doing an, a Biennale, um, was inspiring for me because I thought that's an opportunity to not be locked down with one building or one you know specific character of a building but maybe be able to have a conversation with a city again and I've done that years and years and years ago um, when I was in my mid-20s I curated a kind of large art school exhibition in the city in Munich and I really enjoyed it for that reason that you can kind of go um, through the streets and, and look for sites and, and, and kind of get to know even your own city better. So that was the reason, and I think that's for me um, one of the reasons why biennales are interesting because they're happening in a city and they're literally for a city and bring a city together. And Sydney is, probably most of you know that better than me, uh, quite unique because there are lots of public institutions involved. Um, it's a city which has, a, which, um, has I think, really um, a big love for the Biennale there. Even after last year, I, I think it's, it's, it's really uh, connected to it. And, and the first Biennale was in the Sydney Opera House. And since then, I think very often the Art Gallery was involved, MCA was involved. So it is a tradition of being in these public institutions. So my proposal from the beginning on was that I really, really want to go into the city and have what I call these in-between spaces and not just work in the known uh, institutions, which was a bit of a struggle, to be honest. So I started off with saying no public institutions and I didn't get there at all. Um, but that was also because I really came as an outsider. I, I was like, this is really radical. I want to do everything different. It should be a very small show. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot of artists. It has to kind of be very, um, you know, very much around what I think is interesting in relation to curating. And then learning more about the Biennale, about um, what's the also important for the audience, um, I realized, well, actually, it is an interesting tradition of the Sydney Biennale to be in these public institutions and to basically have all these different um, people involved. But there are a lot of agendas. So you can imagine it's not a Biennale where you just say, well, uh, I, I walk in, I do what I want, and I walk out. So it is, a, is, is really a curatorial process where you have the benefit of, of working with the institution and the Biennale team to get to know the architecture. Um, so please just interrupt me if you, if, you, if you feel you want to address something or have a question or want to add something. Um, I'll talk a bit more about these in-between spaces um, during my talk. Um, the, the main thing I think for me was then after I knew I'll have these different buildings I'm going to work with and I'm going to have um, hopefully as many smaller sites and spaces as possible to decide that I don't feel comfortable in having that umbrella um, theme for all the venues, but that I'd like to break it down in different thematic constellations. So as you have seen in the slide before, um, the title, the overarching title is um, The Future is Already Here, but just not evenly distributed, which is a quote from William Gibson. And I was really intrigued by it um, at the time when I was working on an exhibition actually for the Hayward Gallery which was called Mirror City and was dealing a lot with uh, science fiction and artists who go back to, to that um, idea and inspire it. And I liked his quote because he couldn't remember that he said it. And I said there's so much uh, talking about our time because it's the, the one quote he's is always attached to his name. And then he's like, I don't know if I've ever said it, but it's just kind of is, you know, makes its own life. And so I emailed him and, and, and said, look, I really uh, would like to use that quote 
for several reasons. First, because I really feel we need to look into the now and um, understand that somehow we have bypassed our idea of future and everything went so much faster, I think, than probably most of us could have imagined. And especially when I look back to all these kind of movies, when you look at Blade Runner, I mean, they still have phones where they have to pick it up from the wall and they have, you know, it's kind of things where I feel like, God, we're like so somewhere else now. And um, that, but also that I, I told him I like the idea that you can't remember that you said it. So this kind of fake reality. And he was saying, no, 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 I do remember that I said it. I just can't remember when and why and in what context. So it was a bit different. But um, so this is the this is the kind of framework, and I think I explained it. It is really all the all these themes I feel about are relevant at the moment, or I feel there is an urgency at the moment to um, talk about these themes, and um, they come basically from artists I met and 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 kind of the research trips I've I've done, not only related to. Um, the Biennale. And then this, the second part of the uh, title, Just Not Evenly Distributed, was a long discussion with the marketing department um, of the Biennale to leave that out, because obviously it's a not a very sexy thing to have an amazingly long title. And, um, but I just felt I don't want to have that title only as a reminder of myself that when I say we all have these phones and computers and, 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 and um, iPads that Obviously, there's a huge percentage in the world who don't, and that, that splits the world. And, and the question of accessibility is, is, is a major one, and that we really, one part, one side of us, like me, we're accelerating, and for us, you know, Paris is very close, even if it's very far. And you get it, you have it basically an hour later, you know what happened in a city which is so far away, and it feels like next door. And on the other hand, um, you know, we, we kind of realize that it's far away, but there's this kind of weird slippage in space and time, I think, through, through, through these facilities. So I just wanted to make sure that um, while I'm having that as a statement, that, that I don't forget that it's not relevant for everybody, and what does that mean, and how can a Biennale um, you know, make that also a subject matter, even if it is a lot about the digital and the post-internet generation. So um, I decided to call these embassies, uh, these venues embassies, so, um, and they have different um, semantics. So you'll see these are the, the, main, the main venues, which are the, what I call embassies of sorts. And um, I, I like this term embassy because I felt that's in a way what I think we can maybe achieve with art and what I feel would be really relevant for our um, time is to have these safe places of thought where people can come and be and be safe and have a conversation together. And it's not related to what's your background, what's your culture, what's your passport, but just these places in places, so these countries in countries. So address the question of who's allowed to be where, who's owning what kind of land, and the, the question of ownership and occupying and have that in, in that, that, that terminology of, of, of embassy. And, um, in the, and, and only later on I learned about, obviously, Richard Bell's tent embassy. So the, I knew the history from 72, um, but I didn't know that uh, Richard had done this work. And I also learned later on that in the Aboriginal culture there are um, there are embassies, it's basically ringages. So it's much more places like I imagine these embassies where you um, you not literally own this land or you not you haven't marked that land. But in the song lines, you know when you as a clan move through a land to go to a ceremony, this is a safe place for you. And you have the right to be there and uh, you can't be attacked. Um, but in a much more, I think, a way how I imagine it, that it's not a place you own or you have to build a building, much more in a theoretical, abstract way. It's a, it's a place you can go and be there, but you can kind of move through the different lands and you always have a place. And so I wanted to have these places to have conversations about different um, themes. And what I'm going to do, I'll um, walk through uh, the, the different embassies and... and talk about a few artists' projects. It's mainly um, new commissions. So this is, the, this is the map 
of Sydney where you see the kind of ones with a, with a white background are the, are the embassies and then there are the kind of other um, sites uh, we're using like the Camperdown Memorial um, Cemetery, a little piece of land in Umbercombe Street and, and a, a, a gallery space in George Street. So you see, so I've kind of created this um, corridor, how I called it, where people can either walk or cycle or however, and you can, you can break it up. Um, so this was just, I think, the way how I explored Sydney. And obviously, it's a very subjective way. I focused on Redfern at some point because for me, that was really a, a, a very, as an outsider, uh, a very interesting part of Sydney to learn about the Aboriginal culture, the uprisings, the, the 92 speech. So just kind of approach it from that. But I met a lot of people now in Sydney and artists who say, like, God, it's really, Redfern is really done. But for me, it's, 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 I think it will never be done. I think it really talks about an important history of, of the city. So that's a lot of work um, which are not in institutions, are basically around um, uh, carriage, carriage works, as you, as you see, and there are um, a, a few more there. Cockatoo um, is, a, is a venue which is used since 2008. Who, who has not been at Cockatoo Island from you? So you've all been, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, so it, it was a venue which I actually struggled with at the beginning. And when I started the Biennale, I was like, look, it's, it's a hugely expensive venue because you have to barge everything over. I want to have some major artist projects and want to focus on a few commissions. I don't want to use this venue. Um, and again, through conversations, um, I learned that it's a, it's a really key venue at the moment still for the Biennale because it brings a lot of students and uh, um, for like uh, school kids to Sydney, so they kind of combine the visit. And so I was like, okay. So it was obviously a, 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 a big factor, and um, I was very stubborn in not using it. And then um, I got an additional budget for Cockatoo. Um, to allow to make an exhibition there. And so I, I went more often and um, I, I just kind of, each time I went, I felt I'm not getting that uh, sight and uh, it just f didn't feel quite right. And so um, obviously an interesting historical um, background and, and that was with the Navy shipyard and, and, the, and the convict. I mean, I felt it gave a good ground for artists to do new work. But then what I discovered on my third or fourth when you were sitting under a sheltered thing and talking to one of the rangers and I was saying, so this building is then from, and then he was like, oh, this is just from last year. That's from Angelina Jolie film, Unbroken. And I was like, oh. And I was like, but it's not signposted. And they're like, no, no, but we just left it. It gives shade. And I was like, that's good. And, I was like, and then I thought, oh, God, now I get it. And I was like, oh, and then this building is also new. And he was like, no, this is an old one. We just painted it for the film. <laughs> and I was like, so in the original color? And they were like, no, in the color of, for the film. And I was like, God, this is... And then I suddenly realized that actually what, what kind of... What I didn't get about the space was that it's, for example, that wall you see here is... Um, a, 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 not a brick wall, it's a wooden wall with a brick wallpaper. So the more I went, the more I realized there's a lot of fake in that, you know, historic building. And, and so we still have fun with the Biennale team to go there and realize that this iron gate is not an iron gate. And, you know, we started to knock against everything. And so anyway, so it became, it's just an example for why I called it the Embassy of the Real. I mean, th this is one of the main themes of the Biennale, this question of how do we perce perceive reality and what, how does our perception of reality change through the internet? And, um, you know, the fact that it's nearly expanding in a, in, a, in a different way. And do we, are we able now to perceive things differently when we can think so many time zones um, together? And it's, it sounds, I, I, I guess, quite naive when I say that when I was 18, there was no way I could sing Japan, New York, you know, the little town I, I, I was living at, and, um, you know, Sydney together. It was just not, I couldn't, while well, nowadays with having the phone and being constantly in contact with colleagues and friends from all over the world, it's, I can really think totally different about what, what we are and how, how we live and kind of bring things together, which is also mind-puzzling. So the, this venue and, and a lot of artists I met were thinking about how do we really deal with that 
um, question of what's real and the kind of our personalities we can build up on, on, on social media and, and you know, the, the kind of spiritual side of that, what is more real, what I imagine is real or what, what I see. So this question of really shaking this idea of reality. So I felt that Cockatoo is a really good venue to do so and I invited a few artists um, to work with me on that and, and one is um, the Korean artist Lee Ball who has done quite a lot of large-scale installations already, but I felt to invite her to do the Turbine Hall, the major installation for Cockatoo, will be a really interesting step for her. So this is in a way how I try to use the Biennale now for me curatorially, like just inviting artists where I felt it also would help them, like it helps me to do a next step by having a bigger project and kind of developing their practice further. And Lee Bull, I mean, from the, from the 60s on, she was very concerned with, with, with the body, did early performances um, in, in, in Korea. And then later on, she kind of became, I guess, quite known with her robotics, the kind of combination between um, kind of the, the mach machine-led or kind of the human being um, and the construction as out of flesh, but at the same time out of kind of machinery and, and kind of a technical part. So she's creating these different maze in the turbine hall where you get lost, you, you have that um, idea of the spaces doubling up and you, you really lose orientation. Um, these are just kind of, so lots of these images are placed in um, because we're, we're doing new works um, for the Biennale. Um, I invited uh, Justine Williams to do, um, together with the Sydney Chamber Opera, um, a recreation or a reinvention of the opera Victory Over the Sun from 1914, which is an opera which was, um, the, the set design and the costumes were done by Malevich and the music and the um, libretto was um, done by Matushin was the composer and um, the main writer for the libretto was Klepnikov. So it was a kind of get together of artists, but I could talk about that forever. But so the, the, the reason I think it's important just to mention here briefly is that um, there was actually, um, well, that's my argument, that that was one of the places in the main, the key place where Malevich discovered his black square. And um, for me, Malevich has always been, but especially the, the Black Square is a very contemporary work for me. This idea of how do we, so this, this going into another dimension. So what, in England there's this television series now which is called Black Mirror um, from Charlie Brooker, where it is a lot about you know, the, our kind of the, the black, uh, the iPhone, the iPad, so the kind of black square we're looking into. And so seeing ourselves at the same time, being lost in this infinite space. And for Malevich, very much that black square was also a self-portrait. It was like going through the zero and, and kind of extending yourself into another realm and kind of trying to expand your imagination. So the black square is basically the portal to go into suprematism. And so for me, it's, it's very important to have that, that opera with uh, contemporary artists and, and contemporary composers to really basically translated into the 21st century and think what is still the relevance and in which way maybe is the black square something which talks about this, the, the digital and, and, and the, in, the, in, the internet. And um, so this will be in one of the, it will be a whole building in, in, on, on Cockatoo talking about um, that subject matter. And maybe that's a good moment, and I'm not sure if I spoke about that when I was here last, that um, black paintings and the, and the black is, is for me always been a very inspirational space. And I wrote my PhD about the fact that very often, or at least I proved it with, with artists like um, Rauschenberg and Roscoe and Newman, that black or going through the black is very often a period of transformation. So I know how Arnold von Gennep calls it the Rite de Marche. It's a tabula rasa, it's kind of really traveling through that space where you don't know where to go next. So this idea of being in a, in a pitch dark space and not knowing what's the next um, step. And for me, curatorial, that's always a space where I'd like to be as much as long as possible to not already know what I'm gonna do next, but really kind of trying to um, stand still and kind of see what happens in this space of research and not going in and having already, you know, a knowledge about what that person's gonna tell me. And so that is a kind of general idea and um, 
very early on in the Haus der Kunst, I did a show which kind of brought all these different paintings from Roscoe, um, Newman, Reinhardt, um, and, and Rauschenberg together. And I still feel that's coming back when I now kind of um, commission artists to, to recreate that opera. Um, Korakut Arandachai, who's a Thai artist based in New York, who had just a gigantic uh, solo exhibition as, at Palladi Tokyo, um, and he'll be doing a new also installation at at, um, at Cockatoo. And here, I mean, as you see, it's a, it's a totally different generation than than Li Bull. Li Bull is born; um, she's now in her late 50s, and and um, I think. Korakret is probably born in 86. And it's a, it's a very different aesthetic. He's this uh, he, he's filmmaker and painter and uh, works a lot with the performance artist Boy Child together. And he kind of uses his own um, culture, um, the Thai culture and the spirits and the temple culture to kind of explore how can you exist as a painter, a denim painter. So all of his kind of paintings are made on denim and it, lots of the shoot look a bit like fashion shoots. And the paintings are very, very valuable and kind of high. Um, I think he, he kind of uh, has, a, has a high value in the commercial area at the moment. But he's very interested in doing these films. So we're showing just films and a performance um, with, with Boy Child. Ming Wong, who's I think at the APT, was a, was a new commission. And we're showing an older work of his which um, explores science fiction. So this venue, again, plays a lot with artists who go back and are interested in, in science fiction and the idea of science fiction and, and looking at it, what, what kind of how would we treat certain things today. And he's exploring in this work the relationship between science fiction and China and the fact that in China, very late, um, the, the kind of um, medium of science fiction became relevant, obviously, through the, the politics, that idea of uh, a kind of a sci-fi world wasn't uh, something which was um, very promoted. Bharti Kher, um, an Indian artist who's based in Delhi, who does um, beautiful paintings, but I, I was mainly interested in this work, which she did, um, two years ago and, and didn't show, she did casts um, with uh, prostitutes from Calcutta and she kind of brought them to Delhi to cast them and, and, and created these, I feel, amazingly intense works of these women who, whose body really showing their lives but not so I'm, I'm, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that it's uh, prostitutes because that's not what uh, I think that uh, the, the bodies are about. But the way how they sit and the, the marks and the, 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 the language I think the, the bodies are speaking, I, I just couldn't forget the work. I went to see it and, and just, you know, when I, I talked to Barty, I was like, I thought that the history of, of the, how she did the works was quite interesting. At the same time, I thought it's somehow problematic and I couldn't quite get it, uh, get around in it in, uh, intellectually. But I just, for, for like over a year, this image of these sculptures came back. So I wanted to have them in this embassy because this embassy is also about uh, the, the, our physical experience of reality. And, and for me, that was, it's, it's an important point in relation to real, that question of, um, on the one hand, we are all constantly on our phones and communicate that way. But on the other hand, I think we are beyond that point of, you know, uh, the, 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 the angst of uh, the embodiment. I think we are all aware that we do experience and that the experience with our bodies and the one-to-one -one experience or with the physical experience is, is, will always be relevant. So this venue also has works like Bati Care or another work by um, William Forsythe, a mechanical pendulum where um, the, the audience can go in and really play with these, um, with these pendulums which talk about the gravity of the body. Um, the Embassy of Disappearances, Carriage Works. So there's always a kind of close connection to um, the venue I, I selected. So the, the fact that artists are interested in the disappearing of languages, of cultures, of currencies, of, of whole lands and landscapes. And um, the longer I did the research for the Biennale, the, the more I realized that actually I could have done a whole Biennale just about that. Because it, it does feel that's a very, uh, a lot of artists feel an urgency around that. And on the one hand, it's an old subject. I mean, it's about history. It's about how do we memorize history? How is history written? 
in a very subjective way. How do we, um, you know, memorize personal stories, but also kind of um, the the stories of of our uh, countries? But I think. Um, for me then, I, I still decided that I want to have it as one aspect of this constellation. And this is a work which you had actually in, in Brisbane, um, Ni Mingwe's Granica in Sand. And um, I struggled a bit because as, as, as I said, I felt like, well, can you show all the work in a Biennale or does it all have to be new commissions? And I decided that for me, it's really relevant to link it back and kind of use also works which have been very powerful for me and, 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 and spoke a lot. So this is a work which, um, over the time of, of, of the exhibition, becomes more and more an abstract painting and, and, and Lingwei talk, uh, talking about also the, the, um, the, power of, the power of transformation and change, but at the same time talking about the, the um, Guernica as a work which was highlighting a catastrophe. Um, Garen Manchona, a South African artist who works with the Zimbabwe um, currency um, and creates these, these um, films and these are just kind of um, characters from his films in the, in the space suits. Um, Minu Glim, a Korean artist who does, um, since 2009, works with portable keepers and these portable keepers are basically carrying memory or history and she recontextualizes in her work, in her performance work and also her films. And so she will do a new um, work um, for us. Apichapong uh, Verasetakul, who you probably know, um, for me one of the most fascinating filmmakers, um, is based in Thailand, but he really has his life in, in, in two areas, um, the film world and the visual art world, and he um, wants to do, and is working on a new film um, a, a, which is around fire, so it's a, it will be a very abstract, actually, um, video about a fireball dancing um, in front of a black a black ground, and he wants to talk about um, Plato's cave and the way how we perceive um, uh, the world at, at, at the moment, but also the kind of ritualistic aspect of, of fire and the change um, in relation to perceiving uh, this element. Ania Shoksi, um, an Indian artist who um, works since I think probably now um, five, six years um, around absence and um, very often with her own body and performative, um, but also in, in film and, and, and video. And she's going to do a new work where she collects sunsets from all over the world and she will create a 17 meter um, tall wall and um, basically wallpaper these sunsets over each other and work with performers who have a close relationship to sunsets through her own biography. There's, there's one dancer whose uh, mother would um, look at the sunset for the last year of her life when she knew that she has cancer and, and it couldn't be treated. So they're kind of very personal relationships. And the dancers will basically wander over that wall, um, hanging from the ceiling and ripping these, the wallpapers down. So at the end of the show you will have Ideally, I think she's imagining of having all these sunsets together as one sunset from different parts of, of the world. And so that's her way of imagining how, how do I imagine the last sunset um, if I could. So that kind of overlaying. Embassy of Spirits is the art gallery um, New South Wales. Um, and it deals a lot with the question of um, spirituality, religion. So the, the uh, artists who talk about um, their own and private rituals, but also about the question how um, religion is used as a, as a power structure. And obviously that, I think, is something which, again, and especially in the last years, became so obvious that in art that is a theme which, which comes up a lot and has to come up a lot. How is um, religion used um, to manipulate um, the way how we think about certain countries like um, the Islam? And the, the key artist in... in um, the art gallery in New South Wales will be Charushi Noda, who's a Japanese artist um, who has a background as, um, as a gardener in Zen gardens. And he came to Australia to research the star system and kind of learn about the star system because he wanted to do something um, around that. And he went to Giacala um, 
not really, I think, saying I want to talk about your idea of stars and how you, you know, how the stars direct you and, and in which way you see the relationship to um, the planet. And he came back and when I asked him, so what's, what, what is it you want to do? He was like, well, he, like, he, he doesn't know. He's in a total state of confusion. He can't, that's such an impress, it was such an impression for him and he can't quite bring all these different influences together. I think he was trying to kind of see how he can connect the um, things he learned in Jakala with his own um, um, kind of spiritual tradition in Japan and the Western uh, religious approach. And I think he wanted to do that through the star system. So what he ended up is, is saying, I want to do a space which just reflects that total state of confusion, that I don't know how to bring it all together. And, and that I maybe also don't want to know. So he decided to do um, one of these double height spaces in the art gallery. He will cover it with red okra and then layer a clay over it. And over the run of the exhibition, he's imagining that this clay is slowly kind of breaking and falling down so that the red okra comes through. And in the middle of that room, there will be a platform um, with tatami mats where a few people can sit and basically just meditate. So it's really, a, a space for just sitting and experiencing and trying to stop, I think, what like the, the thinking. And for me, that that's a very, um, I, I think, powerful way of ex um, describing this embassy of spirits, where this room will be in the middle. Um, but there will also be Mela Jarsma, Indonesian artist who's born in the Netherlands but moved there since, a while, um, I think, 35 years ago. She works a lot of um, with performance again um, and, and, and the clothes or fashion as the second skin and very often she thinks about the relationship between the human body and, uh, and, and the animal. So in our case that's again a, a, a stand-in. She will work with um, the, the dog and the human body. So she will kind of create suits which look dog-like suits which will be worn by, by the performers and they're going to wander and kind of create um, performative structures in the gallery which um, recreate the pattern or the way how eye cats are made. So linking back to the, also the collection of the art gallery who have kind of different Indonesian textiles. Ken Tadai, um, who uh, is an artist who's based in Cairns and I've seen a work of his when I came for the first time to Sydney in the art gallery and he does these amazing dance machines, these hat um, dresses. And so I went to meet him and was asking if he could kind of create new works for us. And obviously myself, who, who I worked so much with the relationship and the crossover of sculpture and choreography and dance, that to learn about this practice and imagining how these kind of sculptures really also direct the dance and kind of have an enormous impact on how you perceive it was a real kind of, um, uh, yeah, really important experience for me, I think, to understand how sculpture can have that, that other uh, dimension. Jumana Mana, who's a Berlin-based artist, um, Palestinian, but based in Berlin, who, who does a work and did a lot of shooting in uh, Jerusalem in Palestinian and Israeli communities and kind of exploring the importance of, of music, but also that the roots are actually common roots and how this is not recognized or even ignored, that actually there is that, um, that these rituals combining communities which at the moment have nothing or don't want to have things in common. Dane Mitchell, um, I think I'm gonna jump about a few because otherwise I'll, I will probably be here in another two hours if I talk about all of them. Dane Mitchell, who's a New Zealand artist and brings his idea of um, homeopathy and uh, the, the Embassy of Spirits is a lot about belief structures and how we kind of, you know, in, in different parts of the world, we're kind of building up belief structures like capitalism could be a belief structure, but he's kind of using that uh, homeopathy as an example. Johanna Kalle, who's a Colombian artist the Embassy of Translation, I think, is a good example to show how these different um, embassies will kind of talk to each other. Because as I spoke about Malevich and um, Victory Over the Sun uh, and the opera we are recreating with the uh, Sydney Chamber Opera. And um, we will show the original material, hopefully, of, of, of the opera and Malevich uh, stage sets in the... In the um, in the MCA. And so this idea of translating material um, 
historic material into our times. It's something I'm, I, I've always been quite interested in. And when I did the exhibition with uh, Alan Capro, it was a big task of ours to, to understand how can we keep these happenings alive. And, and, and Alan was always like, it is an agency of action. I want to talk about that. And so for me, and, and uh, I always tried that um, an exhibition is an agency of action so that it's really something which is alive. And, and it, it is still kind of makes it relevant for now and for this very moment. So um, the Embassy of Translation is a lot about how artists basically do that, how they pick up material and then kind of create it in a language which is relevant um, today. So instead of calling it Embassy of Reinvention or Embassy of Reenactment, um, we called it Embassy of Translation because it is about looking at, at, at works like Victory of the Sun, but it's also Sharia Nashat Parade, who is actually um, a choreography by Adam Linder, who's an Australian uh, um, dancer and choreographer, and he um, looked at Jean Cocteau's um, parade, a ballet which he did in the early 20th century. And it was a ballet which was talking about how can we, very early on talking about marketing of performance art in a way, and talking of how can we bring people into the theater. And so Adam and, and, and Sharia Nashat decided that it actually would be something interesting to look at, back at that, referring to the fact obviously that now performance becomes such a kind of hyped um, medium in, in in public institutions. So Adam did the choreography and, and Sharia Nashad would do the film. So we'll also have that film, which is usually screened in, 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 a, in a cinema scenario, we'll have um, this installation uh, in the Embassy of Translation. So that reference to Jean Cocteau. Um, Noah Ashkol, um, um, Israeli choreographer who died um, four years ago when she was in her mid 80s and she for me, she's really a equivalent to Rudolf Laban, so kind of someone who really invented her own um, notation, dance notation. And But she also, during the war, when her main dancers um, couldn't dance because they were uh, fighting, she decided to do these um, beautiful wall carpets and, and textile works to resist, basically, and translate the movement into another um, medium. So we'll have uh, quite a lot of works of her. And, and so she was, for me, a discovery when I um, traveled to uh, Israel. Dainita Singh. Photography. Helen Martin, who some of you might have seen or heard of, who's uh, an English artist who does amazing sculptural work and, and, and paintings, but also writes. And the question now, nowadays, really, writing and the visual language go very closely um, together. And, and I, I think especially in, in London and New York, I realized that there are a, a lot of visual artists who have a separate writing practice and, uh, um, and writing fiction. We'll have the Embassy of Non-Participation, which is art space. Um, and art space felt like the right place for that because it was squatted in the 80s. I mean, it's this kind of building which was a munition building, then it was squatted in the 80s, and now it becomes a, a visual art space. And at the same time, obviously, um, through very often, probably sadly, through artists and contemporary art, areas become totally gentrified. So that area, Woolloomooloo, is now not at all what it was, obviously. And I think the, the people who lived there originally um, are cut off but um, from basically the sea and the axis of the sea. So it's this kind of interesting, I think, space, art space, where um, it's still that place where I think in Sydney a lot of uh, exhibitions are held, where it is about you know, really a certain kind of activism in, in visual art. And at the same time, it's in the middle of that gentrified kind of harbor area with all the kind of posh restaurants and, and in the back you have the social housing. So it is really a, a threshold. And uh, so the Embassy of Non-Participation um, is the embassy where I invited the Museum of Non-Participation, Karen Mercer and Brett Butler, to do work about you know, the question of how non-participation is an active resistance um, of certain systems. And so they invite other artists but also show um, their own work. We have the Embassy of Transition, and so th that's already a venue um, which um, we could secure for the Biennale. It's the Mortuary Station, which is a train station near Central, um, which is in disuse since, since the 60s, but was used up to then to transport the dead bodies from the city to the cemetery. And so we invited several artists to do new commissions for um, 
that place. On the one hand, it's um, Chao Wei Chai, a Taiwanese artist who's based in, in Vietnam, who will work with these in, incense um, spirals and create sculptures similar to the ones you see here. And an uh, Italian artist who's based in South Africa and London, Marco Chiandetti, who, who works with performance sculptures and birds. And he decided to do a work with uh, minor birds, kind of aviaries with minor birds, uh, realizing that on the one hand, the minor birds are the most hated birds in Australia and uh, considered a pest. And on the other hand, it's in, uh, holy birds in India where they're coming from. And so this question of what happens with displacement and the totally new reading of, of a breed, which uh, is is uh, is happening when you when you kind of look at at, uh, at a creature like the minor birds, who who are kind of non-native birds and and um, yeah, having that that history of, of uh, basically. When he started his research, the most thing people would say right away, well, the one thing you do with them, you shoot them, you kill them. That's what we do here with, with these birds because they're really considered as, as um, birds who, who kind of come as a community but then take over places and, and um, kill other animals. Um, and then there are kind of embassies um, like the one of Stanislav Lem, which is an embassy by Heeman Chong, an uh, artist from Singapore who's also a writer, a fiction writer and uh, painter who's kind of working a lot around literature. And when I spoke to him about the concept of the Biennale, he was like, I want to do something about Stanislav Lem. I'm really interested in him, it, it kind of in his starting, I guess, from Solaris and again, the, the interest in science fiction, but also thinking of, from his perspective very much, that actually everybody's interested in Stanislav Lem, but no one reads him, that the installations, the, the translation is really bad. So what he decided is to do um, a bookshop um, and selling uh, secondhand books of Stanislav Lem. So that will be his, his embassy of Stanislav Lem, and there will be a Polish and English editions, and there will be kind of events which are talking about the way how, you know, a, a story changes through the way how it's how it's um, translated that's just one of his paintings um, so this is what I've have already mentioned um, the the in-between projects um, where we commissioned artists to really respond and this is just a, a small selection to really respond to a site in Sydney so it won't be it's not connected to any of the themes uh, I generated but uh, connected to um, the uh, the site, and so Brown Council is is, is one example. Um, maybe actually not the best because that's a very close uh, conversation I had with Brown Council, who's a collective of four artists. They all have kind of besides their um, being part of the collective and being active in the collective, they have their own practices as, as writers, theorists, filmmakers. Um, performance artists and they came together over 10 years ago to um, kind of create different work mainly um, in, in also the, the area of performance and one work I've uh, seen actually of them when I was here for the first time in Brisbane at, the, at GOMA was the Barbara Cleveland work which was in the really fantastic um, performance show which was at the museum and so they recreated or they kind of invented that performance artist Barbara Cleveland and also when I came to Brisbane, I spoke to um, a curator here and he was just mentioning that there is this, this extremely rich history of feminist performance art in uh, Australia, which is totally ignored and not really kind of um, researched in a way that he feels it would be necessary. And, and he told me, because I've done a lot of shows which are around archive, performance archives, and finding a way of... of um, translating um, existing documentary f material into kind of a way that a wider audience engages with it. So I had this idea when I started then the Biennale that I want to do a show which really just focuses on that and I do an archive. And then obviously again, thinking more about it, I felt that just something I'll do at the Hayward. It's nothing which really works for Biennale to work so historically. But I asked Brown Council if they would be interested in working with me on that and kind of unfolding it. And so they had the brilliant idea of using Barbara Cleveland basically as that figure to do that. So they're inviting different people in, again, like Richard Bell or Mike Parr to kind of talk about their experience, interestingly enough, uh, 
a lot of men to talk about their experience of um, the feminist performance. And they will basically integrate Barbara Cleveland in their own history. And so people, um, Sydney siders or guests of the Biennale can come and look at the archives. So basically, the artists all over Australia are invited to bring their archives to um, their venue in um, um, George Street and um, share it by inventing a history around uh, Barbara Cleveland. There's Meta Edwardson. So there are going to be several performance uh, works throughout the city to explore and kind of investigate um, the areas like the Swedish artist Meta Edwardson. Richard Spell's embassy will be in different places and starting in front of the um, MCA. There is an, a Swedish artist, Christian Bull Larsson, who will do a new work uh, in the cemetery. And again, that's um, something where he um, uses his own rituals combined with his knowledge about Christianity. And he wants to cover over the whole run of the Biennale all the different gravestones with different fabrics and kind of creating these... Um, it will be kind of um, camouflage pattern so that the gravestones at a certain point disappear. So he's thinking about the kind of evening out or the hierarchies between different people and how in a grave it kind of all becomes one. So just using the, 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 the cemetery, the not, not active cemetery as a ground for that. I think this is the... Last and oh no, then um, we can we working with Archie Moore who um, suggested to do a, a work near the Opera House near the Benelong Point. Um, unfortunately, we haven't secured that site, but uh, we're close to. So this will be also a new commission of his work. But I guess I don't have to talk about him here. <laughs> um, Kek de Souza, who is actually one of the artists who was quite influential for me to. Um, be more interested in Redfern because she did 10 years ago, she did that um, um, tour which was called Here the Neighborhood Goes and kind of exploring Redfern and because it started with the gentrification there, she kind of did these tours and talked about what's going to happen on certain sites and um, all the empty buildings there and the way how they could really occupy and kind of show um, works and buildings which were um, not used. And so when I talked to her about the Bean and Ali, she was like, well, it's just not existing in Redfern anymore. It's everything is now sold and refurbished and there's not much happening in, in relation to that. But so then a kind of a few months later, she said, well, actually we're doing this 10 year anniversary of our tour and we were talking to all these different housing um, entities. And she was just like, you can't imagine what's happening in Redfern because it's on the airport corridor. And she says, it's like the skyscrapers who are going up there. It's like the, the whole Redfern gonna change change again. So it is really that this, this is an area where I think the gentrification is still something which is shown. And she's going to do a work um, in relation to her own experience, which will be a, a kind of installation out of different tents, because she, and, and also inviting people to talk, just to talk again about the change and the fact that um, I think she feels that um, seeing homeless people in Sydney and, and seeing 10 towns in Sydney was something when she came back after being traveling for four years was something totally new for her. And so she wants to address that question in her, in her work. Um, I think this is the um, last image. I haven't talked much about you know, the, the backstories, but I think for, for myself, the other shows, but I think I mentioned a bit where I'm coming from and what's important for me. And I think these in-between spaces, again, are really um, why I'm so interested in, in opening up um, the city and having another work I wasn't mentioned is Oscar Murillo, a Colombian artist who's based in London, who has a little plot of land. To really kind of try to access the city that way, I think is something which is um, for me, relevant in relation to the Biennale and also kind of allows for me to nearly have another audience than I usually can have. People who just wander down the street to get a coffee or, you know, going to school, not really intending to going into an institution, but just kind of feeling, you know, seeing a work and suddenly thinking, oh, that's interesting, I want to explore it more, and not having that threshold of going through a museum door and, and, and thinking, do I have to pay a ticket and making a long way. And I think these in-between spaces, again, go back to this idea of that um, what the black can allow, this kind of reads the marsh. And I, and I feel these in-between spaces are a bit the same thing. They're just opening up something different, which uh, 
is maybe less defined and is less directed for me because I can't really um, control the context the works are in. I can invite the work in, but then what's really happening in the environment around it from day to day, I can't control. And I think that's something which I feel is, is, is really interesting and, and, and um, for the works, a, a very enriching, I think, um, context. I'll stop here, but um, if there are questions or comments or things you've seen in the Sydney Biennale where you felt that works or didn't work, then that's maybe a good moment to talk about it here. I think I'm here a little bit, so if you, if you want to kind of come afterwards. So, any question? So why I so the embassies is um, really this idea of on the on the one hand using existing terminology, but instead of enhancing what it usually means, really saying it's an embassy of thought. So it's not related to nationality, passport, language you speak, but much more related to the fact what's another common ground, which could be a belief structure, it could be like just a conversation or an interest in something, and the belief that. Um, I think we should be able in the 21st century to really let go this ownership of who's, who's, you know, who's owning what. And I think, um, especially here in Australia, with having the, the history of Aboriginal culture where it is so much about, you know, the land owns you, you're not owning the land. Even if you can be there, you still have, it's a totally different perspective. And I think that's what, with, with these embassies, I decided that um, by talking about them, um, in that abstract way and saying embassies of sorts and then the embassy of the real and the embassy of disappearance. So to say, well, actually an idea or a passion is like a country, you know, you can be part of that whenever you want and you don't need to kind of apply for, for a passport or for the permission to enter. It should be just a safe place for that conversation and ideally we would have that in every country, several of these. So it is a place for the otherness and the other, the other which should be a, a safe place and a place which... Um, you know, without any restrictions, could, it should be accessible. So that was the idea. The attaches was a bit of a, we were thinking of not using anything related to it, but because it, it felt maybe it's, it's uh, getting a bit much. But then if you say agent or, uh, they were kind of the weirdest names we came, but basically the attaches, are, uh, it's a group of advisors. And I tried to um, work in a way which felt the most, um, you know, honest for me, it's not asking people to do something out of their own expertise, but really inviting people in who have that expertise to help me to go as deep as possible in that very short amount of time and um, have conversations with artists parallel to mine so that we could ensure that the artists really have the conversation with someone, even if, you know, my my capacity of talking to 70 artists to do new commissions is limited. So I'll have support on, on, on this level. So Mami Kataoka is someone who's done a lot around nature and spirituality. So she's very much kind of someone I could talk to in relation to the Embassy of Spirits, but also she's someone who, um, you know, I have a quite intense um, conversation with Taro, but at the same time she does it from a different perspective. So they're really kind of... Um, much more, I think that the, the terminology attaché is really kind of quite boringly linked to embassy, and I don't have that 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 theory around it. Or it could have been a different name, but we felt that actually, I think Caroline Bargev called them agents, or so it's this kind of group of people around me who have different inputs. Yeah. 
I mean, like Marcus Meeson, who's we just talked about him, the architect who's been here and been quite influential in thinking about places of gathering. He was important for me in, dis in, in discussion about how do you create places which allow a certain kind of conversation. And um, so that's still the discussion I have with him. So I'm not asking them to kind of do additional research, but kind of help me to kind of bring their research or um, Geraldine Barlow, who's now at Goma, helps. So they're kind of these different um, people who help with that. Great. Thank you very much. got a bit lost at the beginning, sorry. It was like no. ages about the real. I was like, what am I talking about? But, I mean, in a way, that's one of the most yeah. important questions of our time. I think, I yeah. think it's really exciting. The way you managed to unpick that.